This podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing and Ingress. The 2020 Sydney Autumn Carnival will reach its zenith with the Star Championships at Royal Randwick over two exciting days, April 4 and April 11. A total of $20 million in prize money will be distributed with eight Group 1 races programmed. April 4, the Star Doncaster, the TJ Smith, the Australian Derby and the English Sires Produce. Co-feature will be the New Haven Park Country Championship Final. Saturday 11 features the Longines Queen Elizabeth Stakes, the Swept Sydney Cup, the Australian Oaks and the Coolmore Legacy Stakes. Co-feature event is the Polytrack Provincial Championship Final. The Championships, April 4 and April 11, the Grand Finals of Australian Racing. We caught up with former successful jockey Peter Mertens recently in his new role as Farms Operations Manager at Sean Buckley's magnificent ultra-thoroughbreds Barree Spelling, Breeding and Training Complex just outside Kilmore. The operation actually comprises two farms with 600 acres in total. Barree is home to 15 racehorses, a large number of spellers, 30 yearlings, being prepared for sale and some 70 broodmares, many of them with foals at foot. Sean Buckley has spared no expense in setting the property up with second-to-none training facilities, including a top-class 1,800-metre sand track. Peter Mertens, who hasn't ridden in races since 2013, still enjoys riding track work at Barree and supervises the day-to-day operation of both farms. Peter had turned 50 when his great career came to an end following a terrible fall at Hamilton. He sustained a broken ankle, meniscal damage to a knee, a broken shoulder, four broken ribs and a punctured lung. He was in top form at the time and had ridden a winning double at Tarang only a few days before. He didn't want to retire, but doctors strongly advised against a comeback and the pride of the Gippsland heeded their advice. Not that there was anything left for him to prove, he'd had 35 years as a professional jockey, close to 2,500 winners, seven Group 1s, and dozens of stakes races, and most importantly, the respect of his contemporaries. His son Bo is currently doing an excellent job in upholding the high standard set by his dad on and off the track. I've got Peter Mertens on the podcast from Barrie. And Pete, it's great to catch up. Fantastic. John, how are you? Been a long time, mate. The last time we spoke uh, was at the height of EI. Uh, we came to Melbourne with a camera crew and uh, spoke with you in in the course manager's cottage at Mooney Valley Racecourse. It's been a while, 13, 14 years ago it was, John, wasn't it? Mm. I can't think of a better job for you surrounded by horses seven days a week and still riding four or five work most mornings? Well, some say, some say I'll be a bit crazy. But anyway, I enjoy it. It's a great challenge and um, huge operation. Um, and we seem to be having a little bit of success at the moment, so it's really good. How did the job come up, Pete? I was actually working for Henry Dwyer as a rider manager at um, his uh, St Leonard's property there down by the beach and I had an offer from a, a friend that said there was 
a position available and uh, would I be interested? And I just come along and had a chat and, um, yeah, they made an offer that was um, really good, but it was also it was also more of a challenge for me to go and, and, and take it up. So that's that's the reason why I switched from Henry Dwyer's to Sean Buckley. Have you got race riding out of your system or are there odd moments when you're riding work there on that big sand track when you think, if only? If I, if only I didn't fall. No, John, I'm um, I'm at ease with it. I, you know, I tend to, I, you know, this, you know, my body's or hasn't healed from the from the um, from the fall, so I'm at ease with um, retirement that way. You know, spring carnival comes along and you you see the the lights and you think, oh, I'd love to one more go, but mm. I'm watching my son. It, that's all the enjoyment I need now, so it's exactly. really good. And what a brilliant apprentice he's been. He ran second to Craig Williams in one season on the Jockeys Premiership. Yeah, 19 years old. He won the he won the Melbourne Metro Apprentices, won the Victorian title, and he was neck and neck right up to about the last week. And and Craig just uh, he just had the, had the had the wood on him the last week or two. Mm. Has he got a good attitude? You know, can he cop a knock on the chin? Oh, John, he's, he's a lovely kid, good-natured kid. He's um he's very level-headed and um he's got a great style, a bit of style in his old man, obviously. Um, and he's just a, he's just a lovely everyone that speaks to him. Even Stewards comment on what a what, what a, a lovely uh, boy he is. So yeah. he's not a boy anymore. He's twenty-two years old, so he's he's, he's a young man now. How's his weight? Yeah, he's a bit similar to what I was. He was around he's around fifty-four, fifty-five kilo mark. So he has to watch it and um. But he's got the right physique. He's you know, he's lightly framed, but he's um yeah he doesn't need to let it blow out. Put it that way, John. What are his strong points as a race rider? I think judge of speed. He's a really good judge of speed. If he you know as an when as an early apprentice, he could dictate a race pretty well from outside the lead, and that was a great attribute because he didn't need to panic. He sits and waits a long time when he's got the speed um, controlled, and that, I think that helps him a lot. Mm. You actually hold a trainer's licence uh, and you hope to have one or two of your own in work on the property if the right horses come along. Mm-hmm. That's right, yeah. So I've got a, I've got a horse there now that I've had, it's had a bit of a, uh, it's had one start and run last, obviously, and then, but it, uh, it got bitten by a white tusk wire, so it's been an 11-month project to get it back to, back into training. So we'll see how she goes and see whether the leg comes through and um, press on with her, but I don't, I don't want to train numbers, I just want to one or two just to keep me keep mm. me interested and, and it gives me a day off the farm when I go to the races and meet up with everyone. Yep. Old friends. Old friends, yeah. There's plenty of them out there. That's great. I went to the I went to the races of oh, um, news news day yeah. and, and ran into a, an old guy called Stevie Knowles who hasn't ridden for a long, long time now. And mm. yeah, he's got a trainer's loss as well. But it was great to have a chat with someone I hadn't seen for, you know, 15, 20 years. Mm. Pete, your boss, Sean Buckley is mm-hmm. the founder and the owner of the very famous Ultratune after-sales car servicing network. He does nothing in half measures, and Barry no. is testimony to that. Yes, he's um he's a fantastic guy, Sean. He's um he, he's a very very passionate um, uh, racehorse fan, l- a lover of horses, um and the the the, the complex where guy has got. It's got everything there. You've got water walkers, you've got walkers, you've got treadmills. We've got a great 1,800-metre sand track, beautiful pastures, um, farm at the back. is another 120 acres at the back was they've purchased in the last 12 months, and it's going to be turned into a folding down um, farm. So um, once that happens, it, it, 
it'll it'll be a magnificent setup. Yora died in the wool Gippslander, if ever there was one. Mm-hmm. Born and reared in a little town called Morwell, you were the only boy in a family of five, and it must have been hard to get a word in when you were growing up. Yeah, well, hence I left home at 14, so I didn't stick around long. I became an apprentice at the age of 14. But, yeah, the sisters, I had one older me, older than me and one, uh, four younger, and, um, yeah, that was, uh, it was run by girls, the house. So, um, yeah, I had to get out. One of your sisters learned to ride a horse before you did, and That's she'd right. go for tuition to a little place called Hiawatha. That's and right. And one day you decided to go with her. How did you go first time? Not real good, John. I think I ended up around underneath the horse's stomach, um, and that was the end of that. I just let it back and said, oh, "I've had enough of that." But that was that. Was, I was thirteen then. That was my first go ever on a horse. So yeah, I learned. I learned a little bit after that. You were only a little bloke, and eventually the thought of becoming a jockey started to dominate your thoughts, and you became apprentice to George O'Malley at Sale. I think George was mid seventies then, wasn't he? You were about fourteen. Yeah, so I left home at 14 and went to George on a trial, and he was 72 or 73 at that at that stage, yeah. Mm. He was, was he a tough a, taskmaster, old school? Well, well he's old, he was very old school, very tough, yes, very tough. But um, an incredible horseman, a um, bit of a legend trainer in the area at, at the time. Mm. And a lot of the things I implement now with horses is I've learned from him, and sometimes you just don't in life, you don't realise where you learn things from, and... and mm. I find myself doing things sometimes and, and think back, that's where I actually learned mm. the skill from. Yeah. So you quietly say to yourself, thanks, George. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Your first winner, Pete, was fittingly in the Gippsland at Bairnsdale in 1978. Mm. The horse was called Meadow Law and the trainer was Frank McMahon. That's right. Yes. Yeah, so it was my first day at the races. We went to Bairnsdale and uh, I only went with one ride and my um, George O'Mealy's uh, horse, and as we walked through the gate, he saw a couple of trainers and um, picked a couple of rides up for me on the day. So one was a horse called Avalon's Pride, who became a bit of a country cups um, type of horse. Mm. Um, he won a Cran- he won a Cranbourne Cup. It's one of the best one- ones he had. Mm. He was having his first start, and that was my first ride. And I, ran, I think I ran six, and I was over the moon. I thought this is great. And then <laughs> yeah. the very next race, I rode Meadow Law, and. Um, she drew barrier 14 in a 1,200-metre race, and I think I was five wide the trip, and one by two lengths. And, um, and yeah. um, old Frank said, you rode that like Pike, and at the time I didn't even know who Pike was. <laughs> I, I, I copped it. George didn't like to travel, did he, uh, which hindered your likelihood of getting outside rides. And there yeah, was that's... one day you told me about when Ian Saunders, former jockey and well-known trainer, offered you a ride at Flemington, which was a massive thrill. George wouldn't take you. What did you do? How did you get there? So, yeah, George couldn't. About an hour, he'd take, he'd take me to Bairnsdale, which was about 45 old Tarolgan or Moe. That's about as far as he could drive. Um, quite early, obviously. And um, so what mm. we did, put me on a train. I was, I was 15 and a half, 16 years old. Put me on a train to to, to Melbourne, down to um, Fender Street. And then mm. um, from there, I caught a cab out to Flemington and and rode, rode the horse Ian Saunders, who they thought would go really well and, and run about midfield. But it was a great experience down the straight. Mm. And then I caught the, train, caught the train back home that night. And up for track work next morning. Oh, I never missed. No, you, yeah. you couldn't miss. <laughs> After three and a half years with George, you were able to arrange a transfer to a trainer who would take you to race meetings. 
and that was Lloyd Timms at Terralgan, about 50 kilometres away. But still in the Gippsland, you never strayed far from your home country. No, yes, I was I'm sort of. Uh, Lloyd was at the time was like the leading trainer in in uh, the low Trobe Valley, so it's what sort of virtually part of the Gippsland. Mm. So I spent the rest of my apprenticeship there, uh, riding uh, riding for Lloyd. Had a lot of we had a lot of success with horses, numerous winners, and mm. um, yeah, and he yeah, obviously we had city runners, and we could take we could, we, we could travel about a bit and open up the door a bit a bit more for me. Old timers tell me that Lloyd Timms was a very smart trainer in his own right, a good judge, a good conditioner, and he loved nothing more than getting one ready for the right race. Yeah, he loved the punt. It's, um, that was, he loved the, loved the, the, the challenge and set him up. He loved setting him up that way. And um, yeah, very rarely missed. Very rarely. Now, Peter, you had a big decision to make at this stage of your career. Just as you were really starting to get going, you disappeared from the racing scene for two years. There was a family crisis and you had to do something about it. What happened? Yeah, so back then, John, my mum was really, she was um, diagnosed with um, um, paranoid schizophrenia. So she um, was quite unwell. I had two younger sisters that are only five and eight or nine at the time. and Father that wasn't very um, adapted looking after kids, mm. so no, I I just made a decision that I thought, well, I need to do something. So I stood up and said, I didn't say goodbye to racing. I just took took the break and took care of the took care of um, business and mm. until Mum got out of hospital and then we could move on and yeah and then after that, obviously two years later, went back to riding again. Mm. So. During that period, you got a job at one of the power stations in the Gippsland, and it was pretty tough going. Long days and hard work. Yeah, the old technical advisor they called it, I think, at the time, John, um, a trades assistant. But yeah, um, long hours, hard work, and um, work that I wasn't used to doing. It was like obviously different to um, dealing with horses, but a great experience and um, taught me a fair bit. So um, enjoyed enjoyed it a lot, and but I enjoyed racing more. Pete, when you look back now on the two years uh, where you absented yourself from racing, mm-hmm. do you think it was good for you? You must have matured a lot in that two years. Yes. John, I had a conversation with Darren Darren Beaven about this one day in the sauna. Back in the days when you could spend half an hour or more in a sauna, and mm. we had a good chat about it, and, and we sort of spoke about that and how he had a break. and. I just said to him that I think it's given me longevity in racing because I said if I didn't have that break, then I probably would would have had a break further down the track and I mightn't have made it back at, at, an, at an older age. Mm. So I, th- I thought that, yeah, and we sort of had a great conversation about it. And he was a bit similar. He had, the, he had the, a couple of years off there where um, obviously uh, he, he found God and, and yeah, and, yeah and, and, and become back an even better rider, I thought. Mm. There are few greater levelers than the racing game. In 1988, you were considering an offer to ride in Perth and a pretty good offer. You almost certainly would have accepted it. Next thing, you have a horrible fall and broke your neck. Yeah, John, that was, um, it was, yeah, well, it was freaky. I was um, just going, I had a couple of rides at Pakenham and then I was going to head off to Mooney Valley to ride a horse. I won. Four on its, its last four on the trot, mm. 
And uh, just come halfway around the home turn at Packenham there, that horse, I don't know, it faltered, just went, was having its first start, so it went down. Um, had Wayne Trelaw behind me and Louisa Benella, who was a good female rider at the time. Both went over the top, and, um, yeah. And I ended up with a fracture to C6 and C7, and that was eventually the enemy for a while. But yeah, thankfully, though, Pete, no spinal damage. No, no spinal cord damage. A little bit of, uh, I was a bit paralysed in the right arm for a, a few months, um, just partially, not completely, and it took a lot of, um, a lot of physio, a lot of work to get back, a lot of work. Luckily, your weight remained pretty stable, and you were able to get going quickly. And soon after, you got a phone call from an old friend, Don Bartscheiger, a former Melbourne trainer who was doing very well in Singapore. He invited you to join him. Yeah, John, that was great. He, uh, we had a lot of success when he trained out of Epsom back in the day and um, stuck up a good relationship. It was a great strike rate. And then when he called me to go over to, to Singapore, um, I, 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 loved, I loved the chance to try something different. Mm. Um, and, yeah, we went over there and uh, um, the circuit in them days was uh, two meetings, two weekends at each track, which is um, Singapore, KL, Ipo and Penang. Mm. And um, yeah, on the first weekend I was at Singapore. Won the big big race on the on the Sunday, the um, uh, Crocodile Challenge Trophy, I think it was called. Yeah. It was called Noble Spirit. So it was a, it was a great great thrill. And then we we two weeks uh, four weeks later we trained the first winner in front of the King on the Grand Opening of the KL track, which mm. was a big thrill as well. So mm. how long were you there? So I was there seven weeks all up. It was cut short while I was there. Um, obviously. You spoke about my mother having problems, um, um, mental problems. Then she, yeah, she'd um, committed suicide while I was over there, so I had to come home, cut it short, and come home. Oh, goodness gracious me! Mm. They threw yeah, the it. they threw it's the it. book at you in those days, Pete. Yep, yep. So you had to get the first available flight, as if you didn't have enough troubles. Mm. You got sick on the trip. That's right, John. You're right. Yeah. So I must have had something. Or um, drank something. Um, they said it was either in the in the water or in the salad, mm. and end up with a, a stomach um, parasite. And yeah, and in 15 hours of transit, got home and ended up in hospital for two days on a drip. So that was pretty tough going. When you finally picked up the threads of your career back in Victoria, you mm. suddenly found your weight had become unstable. You were struggling to ride under about 55.5 when the limit was a lot lower than it is today. Yeah, I did. Prior to leave, getting back from Singapore, I, was, I, I could ride the 51 kilos on the Saturdays in Melbourne. It took a lot of lot of work to get down to it. But, yeah, when I got back after the, the, the stomach broke thing, mm. my weight was, went haywire and it, um, it, it took a long time to, to settle down. So mm. um, eventually it did. Eventually it did. I'm glad it did because about six months later, I got my first ride in the Melbourne Cup for Mick Price. Mick Price's yeah. first, first, yeah. So, and I had to ride him at 49 kilos, so I had, I had to sort of get in check. Peter, just hold on for a moment there. We're going to pause to clear a commitment on the podcast. We'll be back shortly, and I want to ask you about the manager who was a very tough taskmaster. Back in a moment with Peter Mertens. The 2020 English Australian Easter Yearling Sale will offer 514 yearlings of the highest quality. The sale features siblings 
to 181 stakes winners, including 52 Group 1 winners, as well as the progeny of 170 stakes winning mares. 58 high-profile stallions will be represented. Those with the largest consignments are Schnitzel, I Am Invincible, Capitalist, American Pharaoh, Not A Single Doubt, Fastnet Rock, Sebring and Exceed and Excel. The progeny of 15 first season sires will go under the hammer. The 2020 English Australian Easter Yearling Sale will be conducted over two days, Tuesday, April 7, Wednesday, April 8 at the world-class Riverside Stables Complex at Warwick Farm. Selling will commence on both days at 10am. It's a stunning catalogue. Your manager in that era was a man who is highly regarded as a media form analyst, Dean Lester, very well known in the business. He must have been a tough taskmaster back then because he soon had you walking around at 51. He did. He did, actually. Um, yeah, he sent me to every meeting. This is the days when, well, Jock, I suppose Jockeys only wanted to ride the, the midweeks and then the Saturdays in Melbourne, and I was sort of falling into that category a bit. And then he had these ideas that we should be riding six to seven days a week, and I was happy to do that. So the more I rode, the better my weight became. And obviously um, it took off from there. I think that was, that was the, the step I needed to take, employing Dean to be my manager and, and his eye for – Horses and his way of reading races was second to none. I don't. I, I don't think I've met another person that could read a race the way he could. Oh, read. Outstanding. You've only got to listen to his form analysis on radio to realise that he really he interprets a race perfectly, doesn't he? Unbelievably. Um, for for a, a guy that's never rode in a race, he's mm. um he can pick things that no one else can see. And you say he said, "Oh, it looks like you no." Know, for example, like the half mile looks like the horse um. It got his mouth and wanted to hang out a little bit. Like you can watch it yourself and not even see that. It's only because I rode it, I knew it, what it was doing. Yes. You know, that's the way, that's just the way he was. He was a freak, absolute freak. The autumn of 1999 was bittersweet for jockey P. Mertens. You'd formed a good association with the late Peter Hayes, who had a very exciting two year old at the time called Charm Scene Land. Now, you won a listed two-year-old on him at Flemington by a big margin, and then he won the Blue Diamond Prelude very impressively, and, Pete, you thought he was a good thing in the Blue Diamond Stakes two weeks later, but he never yeah, I, made it to the Diamond. Yeah, that's heart, that was heartbreaking. Anyway, I, there's not much you can do. Like He um, he beat Testeros in the, in the Prelude by probably four, four and a half lengths in, in, in a virtual canter, and, I, you know, obviously, I mean, your sin out pre-post favourite. Um, I knew I knew on the Friday I was heading into Caulfield to do a press conference with um, Jimmy Cassidy and Graham Rogerson and mm. um, another guy. I can't, name escapes me, but um, Henry Plumtree was the manager for the owner and he rang me and he said, oh, there's a problem with the horse. He's got a bit of a temperature. Um, we right. hope everything right. Just goes through the through the, the, the interview and just make like he's still running. So I've mm. done the whole... Um, the yeah the press conference knowing that probably the horse is going to be scratched and then yeah and then um you were gutted absolutely absolutely I couldn't believe it it was just you know things happen in racing and mm. but that 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 close to the day it was pretty tough to take yeah. mm. well listen to this for a story you you know it well but our listeners will be interested there's never been a better example of the valleys and peaks of this game 
than what happened to you on that day. Charm Scene Land is a late scratching from the Blue Diamond, but you've got a ride in the Futurity Stakes. Group 1 on a $16 pop called Rustic Dream for Mick Price. You were probably not in a good frame of mind as you're trotting down to the barrier with Rustic Dream. You'd be thinking of Charm Scene Land. I think there were seven runners in the Futurity, so you were able to ride him nice and quietly. Yeah, and he was a John, he was a... I'd had a lot of luck on him. I'd won half a dozen races on him prior to that. And um, he was a horse that was loved to sit back in his races. And you, and you got him to switch off. He can he can finish with a 600-meter burst. He was a, a, a fantastic horse. Mm. And I was so confident, even though he was a 16 I was so confident he could get up and win. And um, mm. I got there by the barest of margins. It wasn't, wasn't much in it. But anyway, we got there. And it was from devastation to elation, that's what they called it. Mm. That's what it was. It was fantastic. Yeah. Now, just for the record, Pete, you, you may have, uh, you probably knew this at one stage, but you may have forgotten, that two-year-old of Peter Hayes, Charm Scene Land, had 34 more starts after that Blue Diamond prelude and never won another race. <laughs> never won been. another race. in. <laughs> yeah. Well, it makes you wonder if that temperature spike was the start of a severe virus. Yes, it's something to do with his knee, infection in his knee, and uh, yeah, I think that's the knee was more the problem than anything. Was it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah, but he ended up in Tasmania and he couldn't win races down there. That's, no, that's it. That was sad for a horse that, like, he was just so dynamic as a you know, as a yeah. young two-year-old. But to this day, you have no doubt he would have won that Blue Diamond Stakes uh, had he had no ailment. Big call because Testeros uh, runs second or uh, a horse called Redoubt's Choice. So it might have been a big call at the time. But mm. I thought the extra 100 metres from the, the prelude to the diamond and knowing the fact that Testeros was the pre- earlier favourite mm. in, in leading into the, the series, that um, if I had Testeros covered, I had virtually everything else covered. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. So I, I, was, I was confident. Um, we'll never know. We'll never know, John. No. What a carnival you had in Adelaide in 2001. You won the Derby on Big Pat. You won the South Australian Oaks on She's Archie. You won the Adelaide Cup on Apache King. Mm-hmm. Big Pat, firstly, Pete. He was trained by Peter Tullock and he was a very strong stayer. Fantastic, yeah, a fantastic stayer. Peter Tullock was a Gippslander as well. He come, he was, um, come from the, the back of sale. Um, and then was training out of a place at Warburton in the hills. So yeah, he was a he was a full and by, and we spoke about this. He, mm. Not not bred well, but anyway, he didn't know, and he won the St Ledger in in Victoria before he went over, and yeah, and won the won the Derby pretty easily. He was a he was a great horse to me. Mm. Your Oaks winner, she's Archie, was one of Darren Weir's early Group One winners. She finished exactly. uh, running. She ran second in the Melbourne Cup later. Later on, yes, that was um, Darren Weir's first Group One winner, so that was, oh, was it? it was great to be a part of that. So, mm. um, and like and like Rustic Dream was Mick Price's first Group One winner too. So. Goodness me, it's yeah. amazing. It's a good stat, I suppose. And Apache yeah, she, King uh, carried the might and power colours, and I think Nick Moratus led you in, didn't he, after the Adelaide Cup win? That's right, he did. He did that. Yeah, so it was a great, great. Great win. The horse, um, I won the, I rode him on the Saturday Derby, which is back in them days. I had the uh, West End Stakes or the 
um, something that was called, it was a group three lead up sort of to the to the cup on the Monday and mm-hmm. he won that in the canter and he drew a, he drew a perfect barrier, he drew barrier two or three, I'm not sure um, mm-hmm. exactly which one it was. And then he never went around a horse, so he just he just never left the rail. So mm-hmm. thirty two hundred meters it was amazing. It sort of you know, just goes go up the fence and yeah, hung on by the bears, but he hung on. Yep. You're probably not aware, Pete, Nick Moratus uh, was a harness fan long before he came into the thoroughbreds and he raced a few handy paces at Harold Park uh, way back in the 60s and 70s and he had a good pacer called the Patchy King. He named the thoroughbred after the pacer. Well, that, I never knew that. I didn't know. There's another bit of trivia. Yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Bart Cummings used to throw you on from time to time in that era. I think your style of riding would have suited Bart. And one good win you had for him was the Victoria handicap on El Morada. Yeah, El Morada. He's he's owned by some owners down in, in Tasmania. He was a lo- he was a, a lovely horse. I rode him a couple of times early on in two new markets, um, and run. I think he ran fourth both times, both years, fourth or fifth both years. He just he he just wasn't quite the Group One horse, but when he put him into the into the um, the Victoria handicap, he uh, in the Group Three down in class, he he was way too good for him. Mm. He was yeah, he's a great horse to me. In two thousand and one, you rode Weasel Will for Nigel Blackiston in a very hot Doncaster. You gave him every hope in finishing third to assertive lad and Shogun Lodge. And just to show you the strength of that Doncaster, Crawl ran fourth. Seven or eight weeks later, he won the Stradbroke. Mm-hmm. Gee, it was a hot it, Donny. It was, it was, and it was a hard race. It, there was, there wasn't an inch given the whole race. There was no room for anybody to make a mistake. And um, like I remember just coming into the straight, and I traveled very deep line with the cover, mm-hmm. and I thought this is perfect. Mm-hmm. I produced him just as we get into the top of the hill and thought for a, a fleeting moment that I had a chance mm. until Shogun Lodge went straight by me and yeah. he, run, he couldn't even get past the eventual winner, sort of like. Yeah, Shogun Lodge. Fun. Talk about a bridesmaid. He ran <laughs> second, Peter, Shogun Lodge, in 12 group ones. It's amazing. It's an, it's an amazing stat for a horse. Much, yeah. uh, unbelievable. Even thing. I'd love to own him. Well, that mate, that could be a world record. Yeah, I think it'd have to be second in be. twelve Group Ones. I cannot think of another one here or overseas. Mm, that's amazing. That uh, is amazing. Bart Cummings, runs, sorry. I think he ran second to um, Sunline in a Group One in Sydney, and I think Bossy thought he actually won the race and went the wave as as well. One more stride, he had Sunline beaten. Beat. That's dead right. Mm. Story of his life. Yeah. Now, Bart Cummings chased your services again in 2007-08 and you picked up a couple of nice little group ones for Bart on a horse called Sermione. You won the McKinnon in the spring and the Australian Cup in the autumn and he beat the same mare in both races, Princess Koo. That's right. So, he, but yeah, so in, yeah, in, the, in, the, in the McKinnon he was... He'd come off a Caulfield Cup run and mm. was a bit disappointing, I suppose. And then um, and this is the heart of the EI too. So um, I can remember having a conversation with the owners over the hedge and um, we are talking about another horse they, they owned that, that was hard to ride and got him to turn around and win a couple of races. And, and Bart was quite funny at the time. He just leant over and he said, 
he never raced against this this class of horse, and mm. that's the way it was. But it, it was amazing. Bart just wanted it ridden a certain way, and that's the way it all panned out. Mm. Barrier eleven, he said, "Can you be midfield on the fence yeah. and just wait till you get to the clock tower before you decide to go in or out?" So yeah. I did the best I could and got. I got to the 200-meter mark and I went, we're coming out, and yeah. got up and won. It was a great, great win. I oh, the one, I think. Absolutely. Great. As I said, Pete, your style suited Bart Cummings. Mm. Now, 2005-2006 was a terrific season for you. You won 140 races on all tracks in Victoria, which mm. puts you in seventh spot on the Australian jockeys list. Yeah, no, I didn't realise that. What a year, yeah. That's good. That was a good year. It was, yeah. So, um, yeah, but a lot of hard work, and it's, um, you've got to thank um, Dean Lester for that um, mm. as well because that's the way we, we, I wanted to go out. I wanted to um, be a seven right every day of the week, and, and you know, mm. I think he said to me one one at one stage, and uh, you'd ridden, I'd ridden 13 or 14 days straight, mm. either race days or trials. Or, so he said, you better just have a horse-free day. Have a horse-free day off, he said. So, mm. yeah. <laughs> yeah. You've always gotten on well with the younger riders, and is it any wonder you learn to communicate with younger people by fathering six kids of your own? Mm-hmm. Now, Bo is the only one to follow in your footsteps. Yep. Uh, your youngest daughter, Lily, is on the fringe of racing because mm-hmm. she's the partner of talented young jockey Thomas Stockdale. I think he rode the Wangaratta Cup winner on the weekend. He did. I just spoke to Lily this morning just to make sure they're still together because mm-hmm. <laughs> I knew we were going on. <laughs> Good I on said, you. make sure you hang on. And, um, yeah, young Tom's not used to just winning his wanger out of cup. So there's something I, I, I actually said. I said, there's one I've never won. I run second. That's as best I could do. So it's a time-honoured mm-hmm. race. Enjoy it. So You, you wanted to make sure <laughs> they were still together before we <laughs> yes. did the interview, did you? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's the way it is these days. Oh, you just never know. But anyway, they're, they're, they're happy. They're going great. They've been together two years next month. So yep. Now, what about the other kids? Uh, we, we've mentioned Bo. We've mentioned Lily. What, what are the other four up to? Uh, so we've got uh, – so from the bottom, Lily's, Lily's um, store manager for uh, a shoe company at the moment, and she's chasing her dream of being an air steward. Um, so she's waiting. She's passed a lot of things there, so she's waiting for that. Um, and then there's Bo. Obviously, we spoke about him. Jake's yeah. got his own um, – He's an Excel's boy. He's got his own bathroom tiling business, so he, bathroom renos is his go. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's Tor, um, my eldest daughter, Tori. She's got her own dance school. She, she's a diploma in dance, so she's um, been cheerleader for the Storm and and, think, and done lots of Showtime um, stuff. So she's got her own dance school. It's about the second or third year she's had that now, and it's running mm-hmm. really good. She's um, had a lot of success, and the students are going really well. Yep. And then there's uh, Zach, who's my um, second wife's eldest, where mm. he's um, in charge of Peninsula Health um, and Dietary Program, so he mm. does a, a whole of Peninsula. And my older son, to my first wife, he lives in Trelogan. He's um, in tolling as well, so he's okay. a, a store manager at, um, at Trelogan, so that he's got a, a young uh, fiancé and a, and a young young boy, two years old, so I've got a grandson that's two years old. Yeah. Good boy. So they're all going great. Pete, you would have given anything to win a Melbourne Cup, but mm-hmm. time beat you. You went around a few times, but there is one you will never, ever forget. You rode a horse called Envoy, a New Zealand horse, in Maccabi Diva's third cup. You were very mm-hmm. happy to run seventh, about four and a half lengths behind the great mare. 
but you remember it most uh, yes. because you realise you were in a race in which this wonderful thoroughbred mare made history. Amazing, amazing feeling. Um, the horse I rode Envoy was he was a he was a really he was a lovely stayer, but he was two hundred fifty to one. He hadn't the form wasn't great. He drew a great barrier. He had a great run through the race, and as we straightened up, he carved his way through the field, and he was actually running in the second spot at the 300 metre mark. And at that stage, I thought, oh, I've got a huge chance. Mm. Then I heard the crowd just roar, the crowd erupted, mm. and and as it erupted, all I seen was the blue, red, and white colours gliding by me, mm. and thought, no, that that's I'm gone. And anyway, I, I got beaten about four lengths, so I wasn't far yeah. behind Maccabi Diva. And as we hit the winning post, the crowd, the, the sound wave of the crowd erupted and it almost, it just made your hair stand up. And you could hear that, I heard the call that, and uh, um, uh, Greg Miles. Yeah. yeah, Greg Miles said that the, the champion becomes a legend and the crowd just erupted at the same time. And it was mm. amazing, amazing feeling. And the scenes have been coming back in. And, being a part of it and being involved in it was, mm. yeah, it was a, one of the greatest thrills I've got. Even, even I run seventh, but yeah, it was a great, it was a great thrill. One of my highlights of my career. You'll be telling your grandchildren that story years from now. They probably won't believe me, but yeah, I'll tell them <laughs> anyway. <laughs> well, Peter Mertens, you've made a million friends uh, during four decades in racing, and all of those friends, myself included, congratulate you on a truly wonderful career. A big job, well done, mate. Thanks, I, I hope you're yeah, very happy in the new job. You're made for that. Uh, you'll wear that like a glove. And thanks for hey. joining us on the podcast. It's been my absolute pleasure, John. Great to talk to you again. And Peter Mertens on a podcast produced by Supernova Sound. This podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing and Inglis.